Lead UX, the User Experience Leadership Circle, hosted by Dr. Thomas Führinger Kunt. Or welcome to Lead UX, the UX Leadership Circle, your compass for navigating the ever-evolving landscape of UX leadership and UX maturity in organizations. My guest today is UX design strategist, Jonathan Arnowitz. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Great to have you. Thank you. It's good to be here. So could you first of all introduce yourself to our listeners and describe your current role a bit? Yeah, certainly. Um, my name is Jonathan Ardowitz. I have worked in uh, design uh, for 25, 30 plus years. Um, and I've worked for a, a large multitude of companies on both sides of the water. I've worked for SAP, Google, IBM. I've worked for small startups. I've worked for agencies. And I've designed in many different uh, domains, everything from medical, technical. I've even designed a mobile phone. Uh, and many other uh, different domains. Uh, I've specialized in the last five years in design management, and in the last 10 years, kind of my bread and butter has been the visualization of large data sets and the development and the design of uh, uh, narrative dashboards. Mm -hmm. and, and my current role, I am a principal consultant for Keen Design, where I help, uh, I help coach uh, design and mentor design uh, on projects as well as within the company. And I do some design myself too, because I still like to roll up my sleeves. <laughs> great, yeah, great to hear. So you're really super experienced in the field and it's awesome to yeah, pick your brain a bit and learn from your, from your uh, strategies. So, um, Take away. <laughs> what motivates you to work in the, or moti what motivated you actually in the beginning to enter the UX field, and why do you, or what do you get up for in the morning? Yeah, what, what, what originally motivated me? Uh, well, that's that's kind of a long story, but I, uh, to, to give you maybe the the, the shortened version, um, uh, I was uh, really. Uh, I found the whole idea of the accessibility of technology very, very interesting to me. Um, it was also a time, uh, 30 plus years ago, there was no HCI education as we know it now. It was mostly uh, people who were in the cogn uh, cognitive psychology or experimental psychologist field uh, and uh, other more engineering design, uh, engineering uh, driven uh, professions. So. What I thought was really fascinating was how I could apply my design skills, because I actually have a theater background where I was doing set design and, play, and playwriting and directing, um, how I could uh, apply those design skills to actually make technology more user-friendly. And I saw immediately the value of, of design methods in what was then just, you know, kind of the experimental psychological uh, approach to how you... Uh, try to understand users' mental models and and fit them to your conceptual model, your UI, UI user interface, and try to make that work. That that was a fascinating uh, 
there's a there was a, a, a fascinating uh, challenge. But then I'd like to add to the challenge is how do you also make that conceptual model something that's actually desirable and something that's compelling? And to this end, that's always been uh, for me a, a major motivation is the making the technology really work for people through that through the use of design and user experience and. The other thing I, I really have a passion for is just the magic of the design process and a fascination with it. So I've developed a, uh, a passion for both uh, cognitive psychology as well as for design. Uh, cognitive psychology, I was pretty much self-taught. I read a lot of, you know, the classic books like uh, Card, Luel, and Moran, the HCI handbook and all those uh, great things. But then also trying to marry those approaches with Donald Schoen, uh, uh, Henry Fowler, and all these uh, great designers, and you know, Dieter Rams, and how you could merge these into making great digital products, not just physical ones. Yeah, great to hear. So I think uh, motivation-wise, we share, we have a lot in common. So I also have a, or I have a background in psychology, and moved into engineering, and then yeah, also. The motiv my motivation is as well as you described it to um, make products and digital products and physical products desirable. And and, and it's uh, often misunderstood, but psychology is the root of design. I mean, even even design design itself is a psych is a, a, a psychological field. I mean, think of Gestalt psychology, um, you know, uh, psychology of everyday things. Thanks to Donald Norman. Psychology is, is rooted in both design and UX in very different ways, but still. Yeah. And you also mentioned that you are interested in understanding and shaping the design process uh, process and strategy itself. So um, nowadays uh, we, we talk about user experience design as a profession, but for you, does it mean that design and UX follow the same processes? No, I know they don't. As uh, as I kind of alluded to in my description of uh, what's fascinating to me about design, I think one of the things that kind of put people on the wrong footing is early on we had the idea of user-centered design. And because it had the word design in it, we thought that this was design, whereas I think it was in practice, the way it was practiced, user-centered design was actually more of an engineering exercise. And you certainly saw that when design started getting Uh, introduced into uh, technology and those and UX and design were really bumping up against each other. And there was a lot of friction. The, the, the core of the, the difference is, as I, as I mentioned with user experience, it's really finding the, the right research methods for understanding the user's uh, mental model. And these days you have to understand that broadly as the stakeholders' mental models, not just the mental model of the user, but the customer, the person who has to buy it, the person who has to sell it, the person who has to build it. You really have to find a way to communicate in their mental models using a conceptual model, a.k.a. a design. And that's where design fits in, where there is then a parallel. Uh, they're interconnected, but they're not the same. Because with design, design is a more uh, abstract and... Uh, I'd say more timeless uh, uh, process where you take a existing situation and turning it into a desirable one. And I can't claim I, I I'm now quoting Herbert Simon and Clement Mock. Uh, Herbert Simon originally said turning a, an existing situation into a preferable one. And Clement Mock just changed the word preferable to uh, desirable, which I think is a, is a, is, was a good correction. 
And I think that's also, so there's a two, there is also then a tension because people who are overly uh, knowledgeable about UX and not so much in design tend to neglect design and vice versa. People who don't uh, know, understand UX and just go for design, uh, just use the design process and both will not get you a good result unless you work together either as two separate individuals or a individual who's, who's lacking in design, beefs up their design skills or is a designer who needs to beef up their UX skills. Mm, yeah, so in my daily practice, I often experience uh, also conflicting goals between other uh, different disciplines. Also, when engineers then come into play, you have the designers, yeah. you have the, the concept developers, you have the, the engineers who actually build a product, being it software or any hardware-related uh, products. So um, from your experience, how do you prevent conflicting goals between those different teams and silos, if there are silos at all? <laughs> Well, that, that I think that 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 touches the problem. If there's silos, the game is almost pretty much lost. You can do a lot to influence an outcome, but if there are silos, you can't get around the fact that the developers are the last ones with their hands in the code. And when it's an engineering-driven company, uh, engineers are not are, are not graded on their quality of the UI work, but rather the quality of their functions. So whether it passes QA, not whether it passes a usability test. So they will sacrifice the, the UI. And even in, when UX often has a seat at the table at the, at, you know, like sprint reviews or release reviews, their, their, their bugs, as they're often called, their, their UI bugs are often given a very low priority. And no engineer wants to redesign wants to rebuild the same design over again. They'd much rather do new things. And not only that, they're also rewarded to do that. So when you're into a silo situation, it's going to be a losing battle. The way to knock down the silos, even if there are silos, you can psychologically knock them down by engaging people as partners. Where you approach, where you approach people, product management, uh, developers, researchers, designers, marketers, all the people, all the, all the different stakeholders, if you approach them as co-owners and as, as partners that you then uh, treat with mutual respect, that gets you a much better result. That is, and, and that is a more of an informal uh, organization. So there could be silos in the organization, but if you can find a way to actually reach out to people and Instead of treating you as a designer, have them treat you as a human being, and you treat them as a human being. My experience has always been that people in general are, are decent enough folks that they like to work together if that's the way you approach them. All yeah, too often, cool. people try to say, like, uh, an engineer will say, like, oh, you're just a designer. How do you, how do you come up with, you know, why do you get to decide what it looks like? I think it should look like X, Y, or Z. If you don't have that much of respect... There's, uh, that's usually a, a, there's, you're showing that either, either the person's, you know, doesn't care about design, which actually, if you listen to the person's comedy does, he says, well, I, I think I can know. But if the, if you treat with mutual respect, so instead of design, throwing a design overboard, you explain to them what's in the design and you allow them to give you feedback because they have valuable feedback to give, um, you get a much better result that way. Yeah. So, um, the negotiation skills and communication skills are basic to become or to are to act as a good UX leader. So 
And is there anything beyond Absolutely. those core soft skills which you would define as necess necessary for UX leaders? I would say in my profession, I have uh, uh, done maybe 30% design and 70% diplomacy. Um, and a lot of that is based on, you know, knowing interpersonal skills, knowing what motivates people. And uh, I think to be really effective is you don't have to worry about having to be right. Let other people be right. Let other people think that your idea is their idea. If it gets implemented, that's what you want. The end result is that you keep your eye on the prize. So when you work with people, you try to be as uh, you try to discourage people from you know letting their egos, even you know your own ego or even the ego of others. In uh, for example, in a, in a Typical design review, I tell people, never start a, a, a comment or a critique of a design with the words I like or I don't like, because there's nothing you can do with that information. It's not material. It's, it's, it's an egotistical statement, whether you like or dislike something. And who says you're the user? And, and who's to say that even if you were, that, that, was, that you're right? Uh, it's much better to lean forward with your intelligence. Uh, for example, oh, this is not the right, I think this is the wrong color because the contrast isn't uh, appropriate enough. Lead with your intelligence and you try to bring things to an objective level. And if you do that with your design colleagues and also your uh, partners, uh, your stakeholder partners as well, those are the things that moving things to an objective level, that's how you get to uh, a great design. Yeah. So it sounds like uh, stakeholder management is most important thing to get products right and desirable. But, yeah, but, uh, but of a certain kind. Uh, like I said, bringing things to an objective level. Um, I have been in uh, a, a lot of meetings like where, um, for example, uh, if, a, if a CEO you know, has like what I would call the Steve Jobs, uh, this, you know, the Steve Jobs syndrome and thinks that they could just start saying, oh, make this green or make this blue, which, by the way, Steve Jobs never did. But I mean, that's the that's the myth. Um, you learn to actually, uh, for each stakeholder, meet them on their level to the extent that, you know, you that you need to. Uh, in this example, this may sound This may sound counterintuitive, but whenever a CEO says to do something like that, I say, oh, yeah, sure. Okay, we'll do that. And then not do it. Yeah. Because you don't have to worry about it because the CEO is a busy person. He or she's got many things to do. And if you turn around and you show them a coherent design, they've forgotten all about whatever it is they've said. If they haven't actually already forgotten about it at the moment the meeting ended. So you gotta, you got to take each stakeholder's uh, uh, input in the way that you should in, in, uh, intend it, um, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. So um, it's actually yeah, not user-centered design in a, in a sense that you, you take the stakeholder as a user, definitely not, but um, give the stakeholder or sell them what they want, but give them what they need kind of approach. Yeah, it's uh, it, right. That, that, that's very true. Because uh, like it or not, that a lot of people are going to make judgments on your design uh, are not going to be the user. It's got to go through a lot of gates before the user ever sees it. And it's not always the case 
that whatever the user wants is going to result in a successful product. Mm. Sometimes yeah. showing a design that the user looks at and goes, what is that actually? But it's not an, it's not an important problem, but it's the person who really goes, wow, is the person who's going to buy it because they're going to like, oh my God, that's great. I want that. Let's, let's, I'll buy that immediately. And then you try as much as possible to kind of make that kind of like a, a demoware product and then uh, give uh, the user what they really need. But that's not always possible. Sometimes it's a, sometimes you, it's a trade-off. Everything are trade-offs. You, there's no such thing as a perfect interface. Mm -hmm. No. And it's not like, you know, a, and, and it's not like there's a, there's like this perfect interface that's good for all the users anyway. You know, there's always going to be, you know, it's the 80% rule that you, when you get 80% of the functionality right, the other 20% doesn't really matter because one man's bug is another man's feature, you know? <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, this reminds me of, I don't know if it was a quote by Alan Cooper or so, um, so make frequently used tasks uh, easy to use and other tasks just possible to use or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they should be, all right, well, there should be a, a, a sense of priority and layering in your interface. Uh, it's the agreement for the user, the way I, the way I, I would like to rephrase uh, the, the uh, Alan's uh, quote is, the agreement is easy things should be easy, hard things should be proportionally harder. No more and no less. No. All right. Now, um, coming back, uh, back to the more strategic level of um, UX design in organizations, uh, how important do you think is a, a certain maturity level or a high maturity level in organizations uh, to develop innovative products? Yeah, um, that's that's a good question. Um, a lot of people would, would would interpret that question to make to mean UX maturity, but of course, as we've as, as we've earlier discussed, there's actually two levels of there, there's two dimensions of maturity. One is uh, UX maturity, and the other is their design maturity. Now, the UX maturity is to what level is an organization aware of user experience? So, to what extent? Can, are, are, are they appreciative and knowledgeable in user research, uh, the, the need for user research, the, the, the need for uh, UX design methods like conceptual designs and task analysis, uh, journey mapping, etc., which is very good to have. But I think it's good to have because the trade-off there is if instead of a UX maturity, you have a design maturity, You're going to get a lot farther because if with a, with a design maturity, someone who is a developer isn't going to understand everything about UX, nor should he. He's a developer. And a UX person shouldn't really know about pointers and uh, scripting and, and all these developed things because your, your concentration actually should be in your, in your profession. What you do do with a, with a design maturity is you trust one another. To you to practice what you've done and to work together and to know that when uh, different when when different uh, uh, professions work together when different disciplines work together for a to a common goal in a design savvy way you get a good result then the UX maturity is less important I'm not saying it, it's irrelevant and I'm not saying one's better than the other the gold standard is they have both right but it's also unrealistic to expect them to have both I think sometimes 
UX leaders can uh, be uh, a little arrogant to think like, oh, all the companies should worry about UX. It's like, well, actually, no, they shouldn't. Let, let UX handle UX. Let developer handle development. Let marketing handle marketing. Know your stuff, but know how to work together. And I think that's where design uh, really helps to break down barriers. Okay. So, I think, yeah. mm -hmm. Sorry, didn't want to yeah. interrupt, but just wanted to double check if I understood correctly. So design maturity for you is everybody uh, is super skilled in his or her profession and provides this to the success of the overall product. And they trust each other and respect each other. Yeah, and you get engaged in conversations where, like, for example, you talk to a product manager and you're talking about there's a problem in the, in the uh, product or service. And you say, well, one thing we can do is this, uh, we could do participatory design. And you come up with this idea and you explain it to them and they have an interact. Oh, that's interesting. How would that work? And there's a curiosity, just like uh, if I talk to a developer who's having trouble uh, developing something that I've designed, they could say, well, you know, this is going to, the data will take so long to come to the To the main screen that the user will be waiting forever to, for the screen to refresh. So that would allow us to then have a give and take, telling me enough that I can then respond to and come up with a better design. Uh, and and that's, that's, uh, that, that kind of sharing is, is far more valuable than really having him know, having that developer, he or she know whether, you know, whether there is participatory design or whether You know, Wizard of Oz prototyping is the best prototyping process for this or that. That's that's our profession is to know what what's the right tool at the right time. You know. Mm -hmm. And now, when companies start to realize that they would benefit from user-centered design um, practices, they often start to hire one person, poor guy, UX UI designer or something like that, and then the team evolves step by step. So what do you think or what would you recommend to somebody starting a UX team? Um, what is important to build a strong UX team? And if there is already a smaller team, how would you strengthen also um, the team either by adding additional roles and which are important from your point of view or by other uh, means um, yeah, to en empower them? Yeah. It It's funny, so many times I've seen the temptation for companies, especially, uh, especially startups uh, or, uh, that are you know, newly discovering uh, design, they want to start, you know, start slowly. So they'll do the absolute wrong thing and hire someone junior and ask them to do everything. And they find out they can't, so they, oh, oh, you mean you can't? So sometimes they just, they end up hiring the wrong people um, because most of the time they know Oh, yeah, the UI, that's the visual. So visual design. But most of the work that's done in, in user experience design is invisible. It's the interaction. You can't see that. Uh, so what they should do the, is the opposite. They should hire someone who has a, a broad experience of UX who can be like a one-man band. And someone who's got enough, enough uh, experience in UX and has had touch points with graphic designers and researchers, that's probably the best person to, get, to go to to have to start Uh, with a, as a design to get as uh, you know, a, what we would call in our field a generalist. And then as needs are more, become more and more apparent and more specialized, 
uh, to then slowly add because it's not like you can instantly suddenly make this a, a UX savvy company overnight. That takes time. So it's best to get as mature a person in there to help foster the right organization so that uh, they're initially getting the biggest bang for their buck. So they're getting a journalist who can do a little bit of everything and will probably specialize in one particular thing. And that will kind of see them through uh, to the point where they're ready actually to then uh, you know, become more UX mature and then also more design mature. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned um, this process takes time. So to your experience, if a company really starts from scratch, building a UX team or raise the design maturity, um, how long would it take until they reach a, the next level or a certain you know, step? Yeah. Well, as a designer, I'm obliged to answer that as it depends. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Um, and it depends on the on the on the, how design friendly the, the the people are themselves. I have had uh, I, I there was a CEO for a startup. Uh, her background was in mathematics and then uh, engineering, but she got design. She just got it. Didn't have to. I never had to explain anything about the design process. She's she intuitively kind of understood and got it. So it really depends how how prepared the organization is to understand and deploy design uh, design processes as well as uh, UX, uh, UX methods. Yeah, you mentioned here a CEO as an example, and I also think it's really crucial um, to um, also educate the decision makers, high-level decision makers, CEO level, VP level, um, if they are coming from other disciplines, Yeah, to understand the design and UX process. I think that's really crucial. Otherwise, bottom up, it's really tough to uh, to yeah increase maturity, I think. Yeah, and I have to say, I think I, I was always big on having like, you know, brown bags, educational, you know, mm -hmm. you know, this is in case you want to know what UX is, this is what it what, what it really is. Um, I, I I think now looking back on what, when I did those, uh, I I, I still do them from time to time because they are helpful, but they're not as effective as as leading by example. Yeah. When they actually see, I mean, it's one thing to tell someone, well, you know, I, I know all this stuff. That's why I can make these decisions about where pixels go. But it's another thing that in the project, you actually explain to them why uh, a certain design where it would work for a, a user and then they and for them to understand it. That's really where they get to learn the value of of UX. These these ground bags and everything they're they're sometimes good. They're kind of one offs. People forget more than more than more than really stick to them. What really sticks to them is when you as a designer, a uh, UX uh, designer, lead by example. That's where it sticks is in the project in the in the low, in the course of the project, and that's why. I also say, like, when you start out small, you start to gain credibility. And if you start, as you gain credibility, uh, that's kind of where people become more, more open to, to, to you as a, as, a, as a partner in the development process. Yeah, I agree. But as you mentioned before, a lot of UX work is beneath the surface. I think those lunch and learn or brown bag mm, events are just, To, important to show and tell what you actually do uh, during the design process, I think. So not only educating high-level management, but also um, yeah, educating your peers 
yeah. on working level. And, and the, the, the ones that are always, to me, the, the most valuable ones are the ones that use a lot of humor, you know, so you can uh, really draw them, draw someone in. And so you try to try to draw on things that they can relate to. So I wouldn't go into like different, you know, different forms of user research and what you could learn from that. Instead, try to just, you know, you uh, play on their short-term memory, their, short, their uh, limitations of their own short-term memory, and you can kind of uh, that they get to now they get to enjoy. Oh, like oh, this is this really is a a, a problem I'd never noticed before. But then they also get like okay, this kind of sticks with me, you know, as as when when they can actually experience front uh, firsthand uh, the, the 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 problems of poor design. Yeah, you know, that 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 was you know like the door. You know, it's like you know everyone has trouble with uh, the design of doors, and everyone's pushed but you know doors that could be that should be pulled, and despite the fact that there's a sign and it's interesting to just tell them and very eye-opening for them to realize that that there's no way that solution could ever work. You're going to decide whether to open, whether to push your polar door long before you've read it. So mathematically speaking with your, the way your brain works, that will never work. And that's an important, and that's very important for someone to realize that nobody reads your interface. Developers always think like, Oh, let's put, let's put, you know, blocks of text about how to you how to use it and then we're done with our responsibility to the user but the user doesn't read any anything they they scan they look for structure and those, so looking at those things those are kind of like these gimmick these like okay i can get that that getting those things that can stick in their mind those things are are, are very valuable yeah yeah but uh, going into teaching them trying to turn them into a designer or, the, or, or design techniques or research techniques. I think that's always uh, been a waste of time. Mm. Coming back to the example you mentioned uh, regarding explanations to certain features or so, I think there is a joke that <laughs> UX actually is like a joke. If it, if it needs an explanation, it's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very good. Yeah. I'll, uh, okay, I'm going to use that one. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, um, that, uh, mm-hmm. and it's not unlike you know the best design is the invisible is the design you don't see, right? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So coming coming back to the the team structure or ramping up teams. So I mean, it's not only important to get the right people on board, but also to uh, to keep the right people in the company, especially nowadays, um, at least in Europe. Yeah. There's a lack of talent simply. So, what would you recommend to companies? How can they keep their their talents in house? Well, I think the best way to do that is to uh, take the design profession seriously and show that you do that by initiating something that I've done almost everywhere where I've uh, been a design manager, and that's something I call this desi- uh, design studio time. That's where you uh, set aside a uh, like a half a day or a full day, depending on the needs of the organization, where designers just work together and they reflect on their designs and improve their designs in their own design environment using their own design skills. And there's activities that are based on those, on you know, the way the, the designers work. Um, it's also uh, this is a specific example of the bigger point, which is. Show that you are serious about design by 
not just talking about design, but walking with the designer and making sure that you actually take design seriously. Give them the tools that they need. Um, give them the, uh, the room to answer their profession. Um, I think it, yeah, it is horrible to see companies telling a designer, you got, oh, yeah, we're going to start development in two weeks. Can we have your design you know, in two weeks? Yeah. Mm. First of all, as if you needed a, des a full design when development starts, which is never the case because the development's not going to develop the entire thing all in two weeks. Uh, secondly, it shows so little respect and so little uh, uh, care for, the cr for creativity because if someone's going to be sloshing out a design, that's not going to be a design that they're going to feel any, any sense of pride or any sense of of, uh, of feeling like I'm, I'm being respected and that's going to create an unhappy employee and they're going to go somewhere else. Yep. So if you want them not to go somewhere else, show them that you actually take their profession, not them, but their, them and their profession seriously, that you're willing to grow them as a designer, but also give them time to practice their design. From your experience, uh, if you regard, uh, if we look at younger people entering the job market, Do you think there are even more such kind of expectations from Gen Z uh, employees? Uh, it's funny. I, yeah, I, I definitely think so. Um, there's a there's a strange kind of history with uh, with UX uh, where it's led to a strange dynamic in in the past. And I'm saying like the last 10, 20 years ago. UX people tended to be these failed developers. A developer couldn't, couldn't, couldn't develop well. What they do is, well, I'll have them do the UI. Uh, and so, and they weren't very good at it, but it wasn't that important because of the way computers were, were approached in those days. There was very little, uh, you know, until fairly recently, until, you know, really Steve Jobs' second uh, turn at, uh, At Apple, did people really start to care about actually the user experience? And then they started, then they start de hiring designers. And those designers, they're, they're, they have like, okay, there's a UX designer that does UX pretty well. There's a designer who does design pretty well, but not UX. So then you get uh, uh, now Gen Z, you get people who have more of what I would consider a full stack uh, design education and experience and expectations. And you get this effect where junior people know more about user experience than the senior people do. And I have had, you know, people, you know, be because uh, I was working for a, a, the, this uh, storied company and When I give examples, I say you get the name or the story. So you're getting the story, so you don't get the name. Uh, and I would get people, and I was in this small group of uh, incubator uh, designs for this company. And I would have junior designers always showing up at my doorsteps, like we work for you because they were they were working with with people who were well, blatantly incompetent, who couldn't really teach them anything because they had nothing to teach. It was the opposite. They knew more about design than they did. And because of that, a lot of these uh, UX uh, managers felt more threatened by that and wanted to just like, well, I don't know about that. Let's, and they would trivialize what that person's work is. And which would lead to some people thinking, oh, I guess, I guess design's not that important. And they would then, okay, then they'd swallow that. But the smart people 
would stand up and say, no, this is, this is BS. And then follow, then I'm going to go somewhere else. And I think that, I think it's the, the younger designers are the ones that are actually kind of shaking the tree because their, their competence level is, tends to be higher than the average uh, senior person. I think that's also because we have nowadays a lot more um, high-value educational programs. Um, yeah. And yeah. very yeah. often they can even code, at least to a certain level. So it's really like the generalist you mentioned before. This is what they get in their education. And yeah, that's also what I experienced. They know a lot, but still they expect mentoring. So they want to know what how they can develop. So I think career paths, um, providing career paths is also an important topic. Oh, absolutely. Uh, well, I, I mean, when we're talking about um, letting designers be designers, that has to include uh, the career, a career ladder where, where UX can climb as high as developers. There was a long time, I remember, where I worked for a very famous uh, company that has a unwarranted, well, good reputation on design where there were no design directors. They could go up to uh, a senior manager, no further. That was it. And that's now become, thankfully, a thing that's more, getting more and more rare, where now all of a sudden there's a, an equal career ladder for, the, for a designer. It's got to be also a, design, a career letter that's done by someone who knows what, what design really is so that it makes saying that, you know, I will start doing this. Very often, you'll see design management positions where there's no design going on. And hence the word I, UX manager is not, in my mind, a, a design manager because they wouldn't know the first thing about design. They, they tend to be more traffic cops or Or, or, or personnel or, or people management, but not design management. Mm. Because the, 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 there's kind of like this, it's not, it, it's not like the Peter principle, it's the, the ladder's made to be a Peter principle, that someone floats to the highest level of their incompetence. If instead of going up to changing over from being an individual contributor to a manager, you realize, no, design is this backbone that goes, follows you throughout your career, And you go, you graduate from being uh, an individual contributor to a conceptual designer, to a project uh, designer, to a uh, design manager. That's something that enriches the, that's a design career ladder, not just a career ladder that, oh, you can do this too. You can, now you don't, now you don't get to design anymore because you're a manager. That's the bad news. Good news is we'll pay you more money. You know, it's, <laughs> you know, that, that's not a good career ladder for a designer. Yeah. So finally, what would you recommend to junior managers uh, who want to grow the, uh, yeah, their career ladder? Yeah, they got to. It's funny you you have to find out you have to be sensitive to who your who your management is. Um, no, no man, no senior manager, especially someone who's been in the profession ten plus years who thinks they know it all, is eager to hear that they don't know it all. So you have to kind of tread carefully around some of those people and you got to kind of test out, you know, who are the right people to talk to. That's like, that's kind of why uh, junior designers wound up with uh, me and my uh, incubator uh, team because they were just sounding out, oh, do, do you know what you're talking about? You don't know what you're talking about. Okay, let me go somewhere. So try to feel out uh, two things. Try to feel out, you know, where people who hear you 
uh, can understand you, but then also where people uh, are willing to understand you. So people who say like, oh, this is, I don't know what this person is talking about, but it's making sense to me. This, this is interesting. So be, be open to going around the system because maybe the system's not so uh, designed for the, the way you want to go forward. And uh, again, uh, pull out that, you know, that uh, embassy card, become a very good ambassador, uh, you know, be diplomat first and, and learn your way to how to get up to, to the ladder when you don't have a supportive uh, UX environment. If you're lucky, some companies, they'll, they, you have, I mean, you don't want to paint a dire picture like they're all, we're all incompetent imbeciles. Uh, there are some, they are design uh, aware companies and those are a delight to work for. And if you're not in a design friendly company and you think you're going to be just, you know, you know, you know, just slaving away fruitlessly, then change companies. Go, go where you don't, don't waste your, don't waste your talents on, on, People who don't understand what you're, what what you what you bring to the table, yeah, that that, that serves nobody's purpose. Just one last uh, comment about that, because then you're starting to show what you know. If you start slaving away at stuff that's not really that good, you're not going to have a very impressive uh, portfolio. You're not going to have a very impressive uh, work history. Uh, so. I'd say really find out a place where you can spread your wings and let, and as a junior manager, because your question wasn't bad, let other people spread their wings. Last thing a, a junior manager should, or any manager should do is hold other people down. Yeah. Great advice and great final words, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> for this podcast, at least, thank you very much uh, for your time. It was great talking to you. And I enjoyed it. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. This was nice. I yeah, really likewise. It. Me too. And yeah, thanks. And maybe talk to you soon at any other opportunity. Thank you. I'd love to do that. Yeah. All thanks. right. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs>